We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, May 25th, as you know, we took a little bit of a break last week, Yusei, um, but today we're back here to talk about some more NFL draft breakdowns, you know, recapping the NFC North. We did the Bears a couple of weeks ago, but now uh, we're getting to the rest of the NFC North and seeing what some of the other teams in the division did in their respective draft classes and kind of breaking those down. But before we get into anything today, you said, how are we doing today, ma'am? Yeah, I'm doing well. I think it's certainly an exciting time. We're already sitting here at the end of May, which means that June's right around the corner, which also means that I want to say in about another month and a half, roughly after this week, we're going to see all these teams report to training camp. So I think, you know, football season, especially the preseason, I mean, it's creeping up much quicker than I think a lot of people have anticipated this year. And so, you know, there's not a lot of, ex- well, there's some excitement in Chicago because of Justin Fields, but I just think that overall, when you look at it, you know, there's going to be an exciting 2022 season with a lot of the moves that were made this off season. Yeah, certainly it seemed like last year at this time, it seemed like us Bears fans were looking for any type of like video or any information going on at Bears OTAs and rookie camp because of the excitement from Justin Fields and that entire draft class and how, you know, it was a very, despite all the problems with Ryan Pace, I, I think he did, you can't say that he did put together a very talented final draft class in the 2021 draft and had a lot of Bears fans excited with what he did. You know, it's tough to get that same sense this year, even though the Bears did get some nice players here in their in their draft. We talked about a couple of weeks ago in our last episode. Um, but, you know, certainly I, I think if you're going to look at any storylines here, you have to look at some of the things that we're hearing from Bears OTAs. They have that going on right now. So they had the rookie minicamp. Um, now they have all the veterans back or most of the veterans back, I should say. You know, some of the veterans like Robert Quinn are not there right now, which 
you know, we don't have to see, I don't think we have to see Robert Quinn um, in anything until we get to the regular season, in my opinion, if the plan is for him to be on the team. But I mean, that's another point entirely for another discussion for another day. Um, but I will say it is exciting to hear that you hear some of the reports from Bears camp about the rookies, you know, Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker, Veals Jones, all these guys stepping up in these early practices and playing, you know, significant roles on, on first team, getting first team reps in these early practices. And I think it's given us an idea of what this coaching staff is about in terms of, you know, it kind of felt like under Matt Nagy and the Ryan Pace era that, you know, rookies, they really had to earn their way up the depth chart early on um, in their rookie seasons and, you know, mini camps and OTAs and training camp. It felt like, you know, they really had to gain the trust of the coaching staff before they were going to get any playing time here. And I think we're seeing a little bit of a different approach here where, um, again, it's only OTAs. We'll see what happens when we get the training camp and things really start to get serious in terms of ramping up for the regular season. But I think it's a positive right now that we're seeing from this coaching staff under Matt Eberflus that the Bears are willing to get these young guys, these rookies, on the field and getting them first team reps right away so that they can get that experience going forward and get ready for playing time. Because I think they're putting a lot of, a lot of trust in themselves to be able to coach these guys up and develop these guys. And in a rebuilding project, which is what this is right now, the first year of a rebuild, I, I think that's a positive thing. We've already heard some you know, reports about Kyler Gordon stepping up in his first couple of practices. We saw that highlight video that the bears released where he made that ridiculous play on an interception where he was, you know, covering the wide receiver down the field. He broke off the wide receiver when he saw the throw, came back and made an acrobatic catch for the interception. Like uh, very, that's just very exciting stuff to see for the rookie cornerback. That's one of the things that was his calling card in at Washington in college was his athleticism. And then of course, Jaquan Brisker, we've heard good things about him. Bills Jones, it sounds like he's been very active in the offense so far. So before we get into anything related to the rest of the NFC North, uh, you said anything you want to cover here, or anything that you think that stands out in these early OTAs before uh, we get into anything else in this podcast today? Yeah, I would definitely just say, you know, these OTAs are incredibly light work. We have to understand, number one, and the real evaluation of where these guys are at as rookies, but just the rest of the roster in general is going to come in July and August throughout training camp and preseason. But, you know, the immediate takeaway, I think, is just the fact that how many of these guys are going to be day one starters? Okay, I think that's such a legitimate question that we have to ask ourselves because right now when I look at the Bears' first three picks, I see Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker being surefire starters on day one. I think that they've lit it up in OTAs, which has been awesome to see. They have to carry that progress over into mandatory minicamp. And then the second thing is the fact that you have now Vilas Jones Jr., right? Who a lot of people, I think, have him playing in the slot, but also lining up all around the field in terms of being in the backfield at times, possibly even playing on the outside, lining up on the line of scrimmage. But, you know, how many of these rookies are going to start? Because I think when the official depth chart comes out in late July, early August, I think what you're going to see is that Mooney's obviously your wide receiver one. Byron Pringle is going to be wide receiver two. And then Vilas Jones Jr. is going to be wide receiver three. And I think that this isn't to diminish the Vilas Jones Jr. selection, but I think that for the Bears to really go ahead and justify why they decided to pick Vilas Jones Jr. over a player such as a David Bell, for example. You know, you are going to have to go ahead and ensure that Vilas Jones is lighting it up from day one when the regular season does come around. So, you know, it's good to, I think, see Gordon Brisker doing great because, again, the secondary is the 
one position that went from immediate weakness to immediate strength. It's still a work in progress, I think, because Gordon and Brisker are going to have a bit of a learning curve. Plus, you have a messy situation, I think, at slot cornerback that you're not really sure what's going to happen, where I think that I would not give, because of his back and knee injuries as well as the neck injuries, I wouldn't give Tavon Young the starting nod right now. But what I will say is that there are Kendall Wilder, Duke Shelley completely gone. So Thomas Graham Jr., I think, is a bit of a wild card there. And then you look at just some of the day three draft picks as well. I mean, a lot of people want a player like a Zachary Thomas, you know, the guard from San Diego State University, to go ahead and start. Look, that's plausible. But then again, you know, there's still some quality veterans out there, like a J.C. Treader, for example, who has ties to Lucas Patrick, by the way, and Luke Getze from their days in Green Bay. And so it's like almost, do you consider bringing Treader in if mandatory minicamp doesn't go as progressed? Because this team shouldn't be relying on some of these lower end depth options to necessarily pick up the slack. I mean, look, that's what that would basically be, as I wrap my point up here, it would be reduce, reuse, recycle, because Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy did that so much, right? We saw Phil Emery, John Fox, Mark Trestman do it so much, just in the sense that the Bears were, quote-unquote, content with what was already on the roster. And when it became clear that things weren't working out and a player wasn't performing the standards, what did the Bears do? The Bears basically decided to double down and say, no, you know what? we're going to stick with our guns. I mean, Richard Coward, Sam Mustafer were classic examples of that on the offensive line. I think Kendall Wilder was a classic example of that too. And again, I was high on Wilder last year, but it's very clear as the year progressed, you could argue he got worse. So it's great to see these rookies taking initiative and stepping up and doing well, but you still need to look into adding more depth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the player acquisition process should never start or never stop i should say for this front office now that they're in their first year there should be constant uh roster churn as we get moving forward here in the next couple of months leading up to the training camp now with that said i mean it's just a matter of fact that the, the state of the bears roster right now it creates an environment where you're going to need some of these younger guys that have to step up early on because there are just so many holes all over the place they're eating over $50 million in dead cap money right now. So you know, they have limited resource in terms of, you know, cap space to be able to fill some of these spots. Now, you know, some of that is the resource management that they have right now that they decided to use for this offseason. But it goes back to mistakes made in years past with Ryan Pace and the previous regime in terms of kicking money into the future and, you know, trading away draft picks and all that stuff. So I can live with a bit of a youth movement this year for the Bears. We'll see you know, how it ends up, you know, certainly there are some, some roster spots and starting spots up for grabs. And you hope that these young guys can step up and take advantage of the opportunity because certainly the opportunities are going to be there. And you have to trust that hopefully this coaching staff knows what they're doing in terms of developing these guys. Otherwise, I mean, it's going to be, a, I mean, it's going to be a long season anyway, but it's going to be a long and rough season if we get to the point where, you know, these young guys can't step up and you're left with all these starting holes and, things just are miserable once again for a second straight season. So, you know, we'll see how that ends up working out for the bears here. Certainly some promising stuff for their rookie class as we get to the early OTA programs. But speaking of rookie classes, I think that's a good way to segue to our main topic of today's episode. And that's breaking down the rookie draft classes for the rest of the NFC North here, as we break down and continue to break down this 2022 
NFL draft. And just looking at what we're going to be doing here today, we're just going to be going team by team, starting with the Lions, then going to the Vikings and going to the Packers, go over who they drafted in the respective draft classes, go over what we liked from their drafts, go over what we didn't like from their drafts, and then grading each draft and comparing it to the Bears, hopefully at the very end if we have time, uh, to kind of have a little bit of comparison to show which team in the NFC North came up the best here in terms of the 2022 NFL draft. And I know you really can't judge, fully judge, I should, I should say, a draft class until two, three years down the road. But, I mean, it's the offseason. We have to talk about here, you know, some of the moves that these guys made in the draft. And I, I think there is a lot that we can glean in here in terms of the process that these teams had um, going over our grades, comparing it to what actually happened here with these draft selections and really going just – breaking down what occurred here, because I, I think there is a lot of accurate analysis that you can have right after the draft. And I think it's also fun to look at these things years down the line and say, you know, okay, where were we wrong with this? Where did we rewrite and try to learn for future drafts in terms of how can that impact my draft analysis process going into the future? So I think it's always fun to do these immediate reactions right away um, just so we have that perspective and then revisit that down the line so without further ado let's just get into this thing with the lions here and i'll just break down their draft class right away so the lions they had the second overall pick in this draft with that draft selection uh they took edge rusher aiden hutchinson out of michigan that was probably one of the easiest slam dunk picks uh in the entire draft like everyone was mocking that draft selection for them um throughout the mock draft process it seemed like certainly that was something that i was doing for all my mock drafts um and then you know the lions they had two first round picks in this draft um, I believe they did not have, no, they did not have two second round picks, but they had, you know, a high second round pick and a high third round pick. And they ended up making a trade with the Minnesota Vikings in the division, a very aggressive move, uh, giving up uh, 32, that late first round pick they got from the Rams in the Matthew Stafford trade, their second round pick at 34 overall, and their third round pick at 64, 66 overall to move up all the way to 12th overall while getting an additional second round pick at 46 overall with the Vikings uh, to select wide receiver Jameson Williams out of Alabama. Uh, they did have an uh, additional second round pick because of that trade uh, with the Vikings. So in, with that second round pick, they got edge rusher Josh Pascal out of Kentucky, doubling down on the edge rusher position. And then in the third round, they got safety Kirby Joseph. They had an additional third round pick. I think it was a compensatory uh, selection that they had there. So getting a safety there in the third round, and then they did not have a fourth round pick, but in the fifth round, uh, they got tight end James Mitchell out of Virginia Tech. They had two sixth round picks at 188 and 217 overall, getting linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez out of Oklahoma State and edge rusher James Houston out of Jackson State, um, respectively. And then the seventh round pick 237, cornerback Chase Lucas out of Arizona State. So you say it, I'll start with you. What are some of the things that you liked from the Lions in this draft? What are some of the things that really stood out for you in terms of the positive things that they did here. Yeah, well, I think one of the big things I really liked, and it just goes to show when you look at the Lions draft class in general, is that this was a draft class that I think was all about building for the present and for the future, right? And as generic as that sounds, I think we have to understand is that the Lions were originally only slated to have a one first round pick. So boom, they go Aiden Hutchinson and then get on the phone with the Vikings and draft Jameson Williams. Well, guess what? Whether or not you want to admit it, you know what? Forget Jamison Williams' ACL injury for just a second. I mean, the Lions pretty much got two blue-chip prospects, okay? Two players 
that at the very top of their positions in this draft class, which I think just bodes really well for Jared Goff going into 2022 because they have committed to him for the next, I want to say two years. But then also when you look at it, it bodes well for whoever the next franchise quarterback is going to be. And then you just look at the entire draft in general. You talk about the process. I mean, the Lions, I think, traditionally haven't been necessarily known as a team that has as aggressive as they are in the past at least, but then all of a sudden, I think that when you look at the head coach, Dan Campbell, and you look at the general manager, Brad Holmes, Campbell comes from New Orleans. Holmes pretty much grew up in the LA Rams organization. And so we see that both of those guys come from two organizations that just have this incredibly aggressive football philosophy when it comes to moving up and down the draft board. And it's all about kind of sometimes quality over quantity and just adding you know, players to the roster, even if it doesn't mean having a lot of draft picks. Because if you look at the Lions overall, I mean, they had the least amount of draft picks of any team in the NFC North. You know, if my math is correct, it was pretty much like seven or eight picks in general. But you look at some of their picks, you know, I think there's a couple hidden gems in there. Kirby Joseph, certainly an intriguing, hard-hitting safety. And then you have a player like a Chase Lucas, who I thought was one of the more underrated cornerbacks in this draft class that I really liked watching Lucas at Arizona State. So, you know, there's, I think for the Lions overall, when you sum up this draft class outside of Hutchinson and Jamison Williams, there's a lot of low-risk, high-reward type of players there, which I think bodes so well because when you do get to day three of the draft, you are trying to hit on a lot of low-risk, high-reward type players. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I actually agree a lot with that last point in terms of taking, you know, low-risk, high-reward type of gambles on some of these guys later in the draft, like Kirby Joseph. I thought that was very good value for them late in the third round because I kind of had Joseph as like a late third, early fourth round type of talent. Um, and there is some upside there because he does have that playmaking ability. He has ball skills to kind of be that ball hawk in the back end of your secondary there. That secondary for the Detroit Lions has been, <laughs> it's been pretty brutal for them uh, for years now. They've tried to address that. They drafted Jeff Okuda third overall a few years ago, and that just hasn't worked out at all at cornerback for them. Uh, safety has been another issue entirely for that defense. And you know, you hope that for the Lions, that Joseph can step in and be a starter for them sooner rather than later as a true free safety who can create some turnovers for them. And that's something that I think this coaching staff really wants to emphasize is getting turnovers 
because they've certainly addressed the trenches on this roster so far. Look at their offensive line, defensive line. They're pretty low on both sides of the ball there in the trenches there. So they can get some guys um, in the secondary that can be playmakers for them while they're applying pressure on the quarterback and stopping the run effectively on early downs on defense. I think that'll go a long way for them. Now, you know, some of the other moves I like about them day three of the drafts, I, I like Malcolm Rodriguez in the sixth round. I don't know if he'll be a starter for them, but I think he's got a, a path to be on this team as a special teamer. Uh, he just fits that mold. You know, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's very fast. He's physical. He's a good hitter. Um, he, he provides a, lot, a ton of value there, I think, on special teams. I really like that about uh, what they did on day three. Again, I don't know if he's going to work out for them, but again, I think that's a move that I really like for them, a dark throw on day three. Now, in terms of things that I really like about what they did here, you know, I look at their first round. I thought they knocked it out of the park. And I tweeted out um, when they made the Jameson Williams uh, trade that I thought at the time that it was a lot to give up for wide receiver. That was without knowing the fact that they got a second round pick from the Vikings in return. So I thought originally that they gave up 32, 34 and 66. And I was like, okay, if you're not making a move up for a quarterback, which is what I thought they were going to do, uh, which was trade up for Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett, one of these quarterbacks, which I think in hindsight was a very good thing that they didn't do that uh, considering how the rest of the NFL view these quarterbacks. Um, you know, it, it felt odd right away in the moment, but you look at it after the fact here, and I think the, the Lions, they really came away here uh, with a steal in terms of value. They got a ton of value with that trade. They didn't give up nearly as much as what they should have um, with that uh, trade up to get Jameson Williams. And you look at Williams as a prospect. Yeah, he's probably not going to be healthy for them right away because he's recovering uh, on that knee injury right now. You hope that he's a little bit further along in the recovery process so that he can be ready for early in the season next year but you know I thought when I evaluated Williams that he could have been if you just took away the ACL injury entirely from the evaluation I thought you know he had a good shot to be the number one wide receiver in this draft class uh, because of his speed and playmaking ability and the fact that he is a bit of a better route runner than I think he gets credit for and again he's so fast and explosive that he doesn't necessarily need to be the greatest route runner when you have that type of skill that he has and burner ability to get behind defenses and the threat that he poses now, um, you know, there is a lot to like about how he fits here at this Lions wide receiver room. I look at their wide receiver room now, you know, they signed DJ Chark in the offseason on a one-year deal. Uh, they already had Amon Ross St. Brown, who was a really nice find, I think, in the fourth round for them in last year's draft. Uh, very, very solid rookie season that he had. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, uh, he's probably a top 10 tight end in the game right now. So you look at this receiving core for the Lions here, it's starting to shape together pretty nicely, I think. And they're setting up perfectly, I think, for when they do get their quarterback down the road. You know, obviously there's only so much you can do with Jared Goff and his current state, but, you know, their offensive line, it's really solid. Like you have Taylor Decker, you have Panay Sewell as your bookend tackles right there. You got Frank Ragnow, who's one of the best centers in the NFL. They have two solid guards when Joan Jackson, um, Vitae has been solid for them at right guard when he moved back inside there. Um, you know, their offensive line is set. They've got some pieces on the outside now with their weaponry. It's all about the quarterback now with the, with the Lions here. And the last thing I'll add in terms of a positive note for the Lions um, is that I think this was a good job of them of not falling forward in terms of reaching on a quarterback in this draft class and waiting for next year to address that position because, you know, sure they could have done the, you know, impatient thing and get it one of these quarterbacks here in this draft. And I don't think too many uh, analysts would have been down on them, depending on where they picked that guy uh, because of their need of quarterback. But, 
you look at the quarterbacks available next year, it's a much better draft class. I think that's the way it's shaping up. When you look at C.J. Stroud, when you look at Bryce Young, uh, you look at the guy from Kentucky, like there are some talented quarterbacks in next year draft class, a, a lot more stronger of a group than what we saw this year. And I think this is a good idea by, of them. You know, they still have that extra first round pick next year that they got from the Rams. So they can afford to be uh, patient here. They can afford to uh, wait out until next year, you know, go one more year with Jared Goff, set the foundation here for this team because they're, this roster is still a few pieces away in terms of needing impact players on both sides of the ball. So I think it was a smart idea for them to you know, pass on quarterback for just one more year in this rebuild project and address this thing, you know, whether it's in free agency, whether it's in the trade market, whether it's in the draft, address the position next year when um, they'll be in a much better spot roster-wise to be able to surround a quarterback with a good enough roster to build around. And if they do draft a quarterback next year, you look at the situation they're entering, it's a pretty solid situation, I think, overall, assuming that Jamison Williams can really hit here. And of course, Aiden Hutchinson getting him second overall. Again, um, one last thing here before we move on to our negatives here, you said, um, Hutchinson, while I wasn't as high on him as I was for the guy like Kayon Thibodeau, who was my number one edge rusher in this class, I still think that's a rock solid pick for them. Uh, so overall, Lions, I really like what they did in the first round here. I like what they did later on in the draft, taking some you know chances there. And the overall strategy, I understood what they were trying to do here. So overall, big fan of what the Lions did from that aspect of things. Now, there were some negatives with the Lions drafts, I thought, as a whole. I'll start with you, Say, What was your what were your main negatives for what the Lions did in this one? Yeah, I just think when you look at the negatives overall, you know, and again, this is, I'm not going to say it's hard to find a negative when it comes to the Lions draft class, but I also just think that, you know, I would have liked to seen them go ahead and address the secondary just a bit more because I think ultimately when you look at it, right, it's like, look, you, you know, you get your defensive end, your wide receiver. And, but then again, you pretty much took a chance on a couple mid round prospects with Kirby Joseph and Chase Lucas. And as much as I like them, I also think that they should have considered probably adding another cornerback in round two instead of an edge rusher simply because I think that you know it is a pass happy league right you're having to face Aaron Rodgers twice a year you look at some of the teams that are going to be playing these NFC North teams in the upcoming years or in the upcoming regular season it's very clear that more than anything you know continuing to add to that DB room and the secondary is not something that should be an option in today's NFL by any means. I think it's really continuing to turn into a necessity. And then ultimately you look at the selection of, you know, James Mitchell, for example. All right, look, he's a player that had a okay college career, but didn't necessarily blow anyone away by any means. And you're adding tight end depth, but then you also, I think, have to ask yourself, do you look at this and possibly say hey was tight end and adding depth at tight end really that big of a need when you do have a really solid tight end in tj hawkinson well look dan campbell he's a tight ends coach by trade so i think it was inevitable that they were going to add a tight end there um to bite some kneecaps for them so um you know it, later on the draft there i get it i think what they're trying to do there they're trying to build up uh, the depth of that position because CJ Hawkinson is very important for their offense. And if he goes down, they need someone to step up there because their depth right there at the moment is not the greatest, but you know, I'll, I'll say, I, I agree with your point. You know, it seems like they were very repetitive in terms of addressing the edge rusher position, which 
you know, again, I felt like once they drafted Aiden Hutchinson, I thought they pretty much addressed the need overall because you look at their position group right now, they have Romeo Alquara, who's a solid, I think, number two edge rusher in the league. They had him under contract. They drafted his brother, Julian Aquara, in last year's draft. So they already have some guys on this roster that are pretty solid in terms of overall talent there. And I get maybe take another swing on day three or something on a guy with traits. Uh, they certainly took a, a swing on a guy like James Houston in the sixth round. Um, but I, I felt like for me, in my opinion, the round two selection here, Josh Pascal, a player that I actually really like here. Um, but unfortunately, I felt like this was kind of a reach and it, and it felt redundant again, like I said, um, with the rest of this roster and the rest of their strategy here, because Aiden Hutchinson, you know, Romeo Aquara, that's a really solid edge duo that you have right there. And Pascal, he, he seems very similar, both in terms of skill set, in terms of pass rushing style to Aiden Hutchinson and Aquara. All three of these guys are more of your power rusher types. You know, Pascal maybe has some flexibility where he can kick inside and rush from, um, the inside interior there, which granted does give him some certainly a little bit of value here when look at looking at the construction of this defensive front. Um, but again, Josh Pascal, I, I felt it just felt very off to me because, like you said, there are other needs elsewhere in this roster. Cornerback could use definitely a, a bit of an overhaul there because you don't know uh, what you have. Um, at that cornerback room right now, when you look at Jeff Okuda, you don't know what he's going to be at this point in time in terms of his career. They, you know, certainly he's shaping up to be a bust right now um, as an early first round pick for them. So cornerback was definitely neat. There were some cornerbacks available in this draft they could have taken a swing on. Um, there were some wide receivers still that they could have taken a swing on because you know while I love the move for Jameson Williams in the first round, I, I don't think you can have enough wide receivers. And I mean that kind of goes goes back to. Uh, Holmes and his philosophy coming from the Rams. Look at what the Rams have done in recent years since McVay got there. They've just been loading up on wide receivers ever since uh, they got in that last entire regime. McVay, um, he he went to the Rams, and you know you would think that Holmes would bring that strategy and mindset to the Lions as well. So that kind of felt a little bit off. Again, I think Pascal, he's a good player. I, I like him. I thought he was a late second, early third round guy. Anyway, it felt a little bit early to me though. And, you know, even though I think he'll eventually start down the line, um, it, it just felt a little bit odd. So uh, that's the Lions draft right there. Let's grade this thing for their draft. You say real quick, you know, for me, you say I gave the Lions a B plus. You know, I, I feel like they got three starters with two of them had the chance to be really high impact type of guys. We look at Hutchinson and Jameson Williams. Um, they took some nice chances on day three on some players with some upside I, I get the strategy that they're trying to do here. So overall, I like what they did. It, it felt like, you know, their day two was a little bit underwhelming, but overall, I think this is a really solid draft for the Lions. What were your, what was your final grade on them? Yeah, I would give them a B minus just because I think that some of this draft class, a lot of its success is going to be rooted in Aiden Hutchinson and Jameson Williams. Now I do think, and I, think the distinction needs to be made here is just the fact that anytime you're able to get two blue chip players for any draft class you know your draft class is going to be relying heavily on those guys to succeed and if those two guys succeed no one's necessarily going to care about the rest of the draft but I also think that you know with some depth that they added they also didn't address certain or could have better addressed certain needs like secondary so you know it's a b minus for me I think what would put this draft class at an absolute A for the Lions or even an A minus. It's just the fact that, hey, can one of these mid-round picks that they drafted on day three 
develop into a solid starter in 2022 and possibly well beyond two just to really put this draft class over the top for Detroit. Yeah, I think overall they're missing that one player. I think they got the, those top two really nice, really like what they did there, but it's missing, I think, one more guy here to really put this draft class over the top, but we'll see how it works out. Overall, I think the Lions did pretty good work um, with what they did in the 2022 draft. Now, moving on to the next team, the NFC North, let's look at the Vikings here and things that we liked about their draft. I'll start off here, you say. Um, some of the things that I liked about the Vikings draft, they answered this draft with the 12th overall selection. They ended up trading down in that uh, trade that I did mention earlier with the Lions. And with that selection, they got at 32. They ended up drafting Lewis Sign, um, safety out of Georgia. I thought that was a solid value for them at the end of the first round. And really, their first two selections here, I thought were pretty solid selections. So I, I should probably go over their entire draft in, in entirety first before we get into the specifics. But like I said before, Lewis Sign got him in the first round. And the second round, they had two second round picks. They got, uh, after a couple of trade downs, uh, they got Andrew Booth, cornerback out of Clemson. Uh, also got an offensive lineman here, Ed Ingram, guard out of LSU. In the third round, they got linebacker Brian Asamoa out of Oklahoma. In the fourth round, Akilab Evans uh, out of Missouri, a defensive back. Uh, in the fifth round, they had two fifth-round picks. They got Asesi Atamau, a defensive tackle out of Minnesota, and Ty Chandler, running back out of North Carolina. And then on late day three, uh, in the sixth round, Vidarian Lowe, offensive lineman out of Illinois, Jalen Naylor, wide receiver out of Michigan State in the sixth round. And then in the seventh round, Nick Muse, tight end out of South Carolina. So again, continuing on with my positives here, let, let's go back to those first two picks because I really like what the Vikings did in terms of trying to solve their secondary issues. And the Vikings, they've been trying to solve this for a while now. Obviously, they got some veterans here still on that roster. And look at Patrick Peterson, a quarterback, um, you know, still playing at a decently high level. They brought him back in a one-year deal. Harrison Smith, um, he, he's still getting it done even at his age. He's not one of the better safeties in the league anymore, but he's still a rock-solid uh, presence in the secondary for, for them. But outside of that, you know, they've been trying to solve this cornerback issue for a while now. They tried Jeff Gladney in the first round a couple of years ago. That didn't work out for obvious reasons, and Jeff Gladney, you know, he, he currently – I don't even know he's on the team. I think, he, I think the Chiefs picked him up um, after he got cut – and he's with their practice squad here it was last year. So I think that's where he's at right now. But Jeff Gladney, that didn't work out for reasons that happened off the field. Um, just did not work out there for the Vikings as a first-round pick. Um, they have Cameron Dantzler, who's a third-round pick for them in that same draft, who's been kind of up and down for them as a player. You know, not really anyone that's kind of solidified that quarterback position for them. And you hope that's the case with Andrew Booth here, who fell to them in the second round. I thought that was a steal overall. And – I look at Andrew Booth here. He was my number four cornerback in this draft. I, I thought he was a first-round talent. He's a very solid, well-rounded player. The only reason why he fell was due to injury concerns. You know, he's been dealing with injuries pretty much ever since high school. And he had that quote where he said that basically for years now, he basically didn't play a single game in college where he wasn't where he wasn't 100%. You know, it seemed like there was always something nagging with Booth uh, throughout his college career. And that was a red flag, I think, for a lot of teams, which is why he fell to the second round. Because in terms of upside, in terms of overall ability, he is a first-round talent. So the Vikings are banking on the fact that they're hoping that he can stay healthy um, for the remainder of his career, basically, and he doesn't have his career ruined by injuries. If that's the case, I think they got a steal there, like I said, uh, in the second round. 
And in terms of their second round, I, I do like what they did in terms of I'll, I'll get to their first trade a little bit here because that's, that's what I'm going to cover quite a bit when we get to the negatives. But uh, in terms of my last positive for the Vikings, I do think they got, did a good job of uh, getting some good value with their trade with the Packers. They're getting two second round picks in that trade up trade there. Um, very nice with what they did uh, to get two second round picks from the Packers. Very interesting that the Vikings, they made two different trades with, two division rivals here with the Lions and the Packers. So uh, Quezzi Adolfo Mensa, not afraid as a new GM here to make trades in the division, which I, th- which I thought was very, very, very interesting. You rarely say, see uh, interdivision trades in the draft like that. So that was a fascinating part of the Vikings drafts. Uh, you said, what were your positives for the Vikings here? Yeah, I want to say this. I think, you know, overall looking at it is that you look at the first two picks, obviously, Lewis signed Andrew Booth Jr. I think, and you hit on Andrew Booth Jr. pretty much to the cornerback from Clemson. It's just the fact that he's a player, I think, that overall going into this pre-draft process and this draft cycle is labeled as one of the top cornerbacks behind Derek Stingley Jr., Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Injuries obviously ruined his career. The sports hernia surgery that he had this past offseason did hurt him too. But nonetheless, I think that when you saw him being healthy and playing at a high level, he was really good in coverage. Best part about him was just his ability to operate in space, specifically run support. But I think you look at the Vikings overall. I mean, this kind of reminded me of the way that Rick Spielman, their former general manager, would go ahead and draft, specifically because they traded up and down so many different times, you know, and they only came away with a handful of picks. I think that the biggest issue that I have with this draft class is that did they just make selections because they needed to make selections, or did the Vikings legitimately go ahead and add some actual depth to the roster? You're looking at, you know, obviously everyone has – questions about what Kevin O'Connell is going to do with Kirk Cousins. And when you re-up and rebuild, when you re-up Kirk Cousins this past offseason, you basically committed to building around him, right? For 2022 and I think 2023 too. But there's, I think, a legitimate case to be made as I talk about the negatives here that Lewis signs going to be the only day one starter from this draft class, you know, and it doesn't necessarily help that, Minnesota's the one team that traded with Green Bay as well as Detroit. And then obviously, you know, you look at these other guys like Ed Ingram, Brian Asamoa, Caleb Evans, you know, there's not necessarily a guarantee that I think these guys are even on the roster come training camp or even the start of the regular season, just because the Vikings have a good roster, but it isn't necessarily a roster that blows you away by any means. I would just say, you know, it's good in the context of it's above average, but they don't have enough players at certain positions like cornerback, like linebacker, for example. I would even throw defensive line in there. I would throw in, you know, tight end two even that legitimately and the biggest one of all is quarterback, but they don't have enough those prospects that really put this roster over the hump. And I think that for Kevin O'Connell and Kwesi Adofi Mensa, that should have been their goal going into this draft is – how can we add more quality day one starters? And I don't think they really did that beyond Lewis sign. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. 
This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, I mean, I look at this draft for the Vikings and it just seems like, and really look, you go back and look at this entire offseason, it, it seems like just a rehash of more of the same of what we've seen from this um, Vikings organization. Look back to their last regime. I mean, this felt like a Rick Spielman type of draft, you know, trading down, uh, accumulating draft picks, you know, taking some, a lot of swings on guys at different types of positions there. This entire offseason, you know, re-upping Kirk Cousins, like, like, like what you said, and the way that they kind of managed the cap here, like it, it feels like nothing has changed in regards to um, who is running this team here, which I thought I, I felt like when they when they hired Quezzy that it would be this radical shift in terms of what they were going to do as an organization. I thought they would really change gears here and try another direction, but it just seems like the same old, same old with the Vikings. And that's kind of the same feeling I had when I looked at their, their drafts here. Now, again, I, I do like what they did in terms of the players they took with their first two picks, but you look at the process that they came away with those first two picks, you know, I, they just got took it to the woodshed of the Lions in their, in their trade down here, you know, only getting what they got in terms of, you know, they got 32 and 34 and 66. Great. But giving up 46 there, it really nullified all the value of giving up, you know, a premium pick there at 12th overall, which I think it was a you know borderline premium pick um, at that spot where they were borderline, at, you know, hanging around the top 10 there. There were still some really dang good players that were available at 12th. And they were fine saying, okay, we're willing to essentially here, what they did be right, trading down 20 spots. They were willing to basically, you know, trade up 12 spots in the second round and getting a third an additional third round pick to move down 20 spots in the first round all the way to the end of the first round I and mean, that's essentially what their process was there um early on in the draft and they they lost out on a lot of talented players in the first round in order to make that happen and i don't think they got nearly enough in return the lions uh, the lions came away looking really good with that trade up there you look at any draft value chart that's out there the, the Vikings, I mean, not only did they give up on value there, you know, they, they're looking at like maybe possibly giving up like as much as like a second round per pick in terms of uh, value lost by making that trade up. I know it's kind of hard to make sense of this right now as we're going through this on a podcast. Um, but yeah, in terms of value, the Vikings came up really poorly with that first trade. up. Now they made up for it with the Packers trade in terms of getting two second round picks from uh, that trade down. But with that first one, I mean, I kind of set the tone for their entire draft year. And unfortunately, you look at what they did after their first two selections. I mean, there just there just wasn't a lot that I got really excited about here. You know, Ed Ingram, he's a player that I wasn't very high on him, um, a guard coming out of LSU. Like, and he's a very odd fit for me as well, because you look at the uh, type of offense that Kevin O'Connell is bringing over here to the Rams. It's basically the same offense they've ran for years here. It's that Kubiak. 
Shanahan style of outside zone run game, a lot of play action, a lot of bootlegs, a lot of moving the pocket. Um, it, it's the same offense kind of that they've ran here in years past. It's just going to have more of that McVay style of twist to it um, that we've seen over the years here. Um, so it, nothing really has changed a lot in terms of the type of players that they're looking for here. They should be looking forward here for this offense. And Eddie Ingram, he's kind of like the exact opposite of what you want for an outside zone Shanahan McVay style of offense here, because he's not the greatest out in space in terms of movement skills. He's not the most athletic guy in the world. He's really built for more of a power run game uh, where you do a lot of inside zone, a lot of duo, a lot of power gap schemes in the run game. He is not built for an outside zone running scheme, which is what I think they're going to be running here. So to get him in the second round, where I already thought that was already a reach in and of itself, but then the scheme questions, I'm already feeling puzzled about that. I mean, the Vikings, they've been trying to figure out the interior offensive line for years now. They, they've had no answers in terms of addressing that spot um, for their offensive line. It's been That's really what's been holding, holding back their offensive line for years because Brian O'Neill, he's solid at right tackle. You know, Christian Darisaw, um, first round pick last year, he looked pretty solid at left tackle for the most part in his rookie season. That interior group, though, it's just it's just brutal sometimes. Uh, Bryce, Brian Asamoa, you know, I'm not the biggest fan on him as a linebacker in the third round. You know, I don't know if he's even going to start for them. And on day three, I mean, there's just nobody that really excited me with who they drafted on day three. So, again, I like their first two picks here. But everything after that, when you include the trades with that, um, a lot of puzzling stuff for what the Vikings did. So um, in terms of a grade, um, I personally have a C to C plus here. Again, I like their first two selections, but they're just not a, not a ton of things I liked about what the Vikings did in this draft class as a whole. You say, what would you grade their draft draft class? Honestly, I would give it a C. I think it's the worst draft of any of the teams in the NFC North and quite frankly, on a broader scale, one of the worst drafts in the NFL in general, just because, again, this was very much, I think, the exact opposite of the Lions, the exact opposite of the Bears, in the sense that this was very much a high-risk, high-reward type of draft, whereas the other teams were low-risk, high-reward draft classes. Yeah, and it just felt like the status quo, in my opinion, for what this Vikings organization has done for years now, I, it felt like with the other three teams in division that I will, it's a little bit of a spoiler when we get to the Packers here in just a little bit, but it felt like the Bears, the Lions, the Packers, all three teams made significant moves to kind of change their process of how they do and how they go about the draft here to really try to improve their rosters. The Vikings, it, it just felt like the same old, same old. I think it's going to bite them in the end here when they get through this first year of this, of this regime uh, under Quezzy. Uh, so without further ado, let's get on to the last team of the NFC North here, and that's the Green Bay Packers, breaking down what they did. So looking at their draft class, they had an additional first-round pick and second-round pick um, as a result of the Devontae Adams trade, trading him away to the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, again, so again, getting an additional first-round pick and second-round pick there. Uh, and with those extra selections in the first round, uh, their first pick at 22 overall, they got Quay Walker, linebacker out of Georgia, and they end up going Georgia back-to-back picks in the first round here, actually, as at 28 overall, they got interior defensive lineman Devontae Wyatt out of Georgia. Um, and then in the second round, they traded up using both their second round picks to move up to 34 to get wide receiver Christian Watson out of North Dakota State. Uh, in the third round, they got offensive lineman Sean Ryan out of UCLA. Uh, in the fourth round, they had two fourth round picks getting wide receiver Romeo Dubs at 132 overall out of Nevada. 
and Zach Tom, offensive lineman out of Wake Forest at 140 overall. In the fifth round, they got edge rusher Kingsley and Igbare out of South Carolina. And then they had fourth, seventh round selections in this draft, getting Tariq Carpenter, defensive back out of Georgia Tech, Jonathan Ford, defensive tackle out of Miami, Florida, Rashid Walker, offensive lineman out of Penn State, and Samari Toure, wide receiver out of Nebraska. So you say, I'll go to here, go here to you for our positives. What were some of the things that you liked about the Packers drafts from this draft class year? Well, I think really the biggest positive is you get two day one starters in Quay Walker as well as Devontae Wyatt from the Georgia Bulldogs defense. Again, the 2021 defense was the best in college football in general. But I think what sticks out here is there was a debate throughout the draft in terms of why is N'Kobe Dean sliding as far as he did? slid to late day two, early day three. Why did Quay Walker go ahead? I think that when you look at the intangibles, the traits, the athleticism in the NFL draft, you're trying to project what a player's done in college versus what that player can develop into the NFL level. And so ultimately, when you look at that, I think more than anything, what you see is why Quay Walker was selected so much higher because of those traits. I think Devontae Wyatt just adds to an already really good front seven with players like Kenny Clark that are there. And then you just look at the rest of the draft class in general. I mean, Hey, look, the biggest issue with the Packers over the last couple of years has been what wide receiver depth, right? You look at what this team had last season. It was Devonte Adams, everyone else, Randall Cobb's a shell of him for himself. Alan Lazard's a good two, but if we're going to be honest with ourselves here, you can't label Alan Lazard a 1B. I think in most cases on most teams, he would be a wide receiver three or even a wide receiver four. Okay, I'm just throwing that out there because I don't think Alan Lazard has necessarily matched or lived up to any of the hype that a lot of Packers fans like to give him. So ultimately, I think when you look at this entire draft, you know, first three picks, I think we're just home run hits out of the park. I think Christian Watson pairing him with Aaron Rodgers is the exact type of situation that Watson being from a smaller school needed to walk into because Aaron's going to help unlock Christian's potential. And then ultimately, you know, you look at the rest of the draft. I said this during the draft and I'm going to stick to it. Sean Ryan, Romeo Dobbs, Zach Tom. Hey, three really solid players right there. I mean, I think when you look at Ryan and Romeo Dobbs too, is the fact that some people back in November and December did have second round grades on these guys. Now, obviously, you know, those grades are going to fluctuate and stuff as a result of stuff like top 30 visits, injuries, you know, all-star game performances, biggest ones, the NFL scouting combine, but you still added some good depth there. Zach Tom, I think a player that a lot of people were labeling as a hidden gem at the offensive line draft class too. So this was just so solid in general. And then you look at the rest of the Packers draft, you know, you're looking at Kingsley, Ignabari, Tariq Carpenter, Jonathan Ford, Rashid Walker, Samiri Toure. I mean, look, the last five selections, the Packers pretty much sent a message and said, yep, we know for a fact our depth at safety and outside linebacker, inside linebacker at nose tackle, OT wide receiver may not have been the best in years past that we've kind of lost and been kicked out of the playoffs but and I think that lack of depth really showed as the year progressed for Green Bay in terms of the last couple seasons but they're adding depth so it's just a wait and see type approach here you ready showtime on May 3rd summer starts with the fall guy let's do it later let's drink a spicy margarita make some bad decisions yes 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah, in terms of the things that I liked about the Packers draft, I think it does go back to what you said in terms of uh, getting immediate starters with their early picks. Like I think Devontae Wyatt, I think Clay Walker, and even Christian Watson and Ryan and, and um, excuse me here, uh, Zach Tom, all have a chance to get on the field right away and start for them sooner than later. Like all five of those guys have a chance to really contribute this year. And I, I mean, with the situation the Packers came in, I mean, that's a very positive thing for them, especially getting Devontae Wyatt at 28. He was my number one interior defensive lineman in this draft class and you put him and pair him with uh kenny clark in the interior there like they already have Rashawn gary and preston smith uh, at the edge rusher position um that defensive front for the packers now i mean it's <clears throat> it's dangerous man they have a really 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 damn good uh defensive front with those four guys as well as some of the depth pieces they have to rotate in and out with those pieces Combine that with the secondary, extending Jair Alexander. Eric Stokes was a good first-round pick for them last year. They got Andrew Amos and Darnell Savage at safety. Like, this Packers defense, it's looking loaded at all three levels. Um, getting Campbell back after a good year for them at linebacker. Like, a lot of good stuff in terms of getting immediate impact guys for them right away um, with those first early couple of picks. And I, even, I think, Christian Watson for them at wide receiver – Again, Christian Watson, he's not going. He's not going to replace Devontae Adams. Like nothing that they did. Spoiler alert for when I get to their negatives is going to replace the value that and the impact that Devontae Adams had for them. But Christian Watson, like, can he step in and, and give you that replacement for, let's say, Marcus Valdez Scaling? Like, absolutely. Like, I think Christian Watson, day one, his floor is Marcus Valdez Scaling in terms of being that bigger, taller, uh, deep threat who can take the top off of defense and block his ass off on the outside, maybe take a screen pass here and there and get some yards after the catch, you know, having that speed and breakaway ability. Um, Christian Watson, he's a guy who, again, like I said, he blocks his ass off in the run game. So he gives you some additional value in the screen game and in the run game as well. Um, so Christian Watson, again, is he a true number one guy right away? No, uh, but he is someone that can step in and contribute for this wide receiver room for the bear for the Packers. I should say, that, let's be honest, isn't very good right now. And Watson, he has a chance to have a role sooner rather than later. And, you know, while Aaron Rodgers can struggle a little bit connecting with younger wide receivers in their first and second year in the league, you know, Watson's going to have a lot of opportunities in camp to build up a little bit of a rapport with Aaron Rodgers because there's really no one else in this roster that's going to be able to fill that Marcus Valdez-Scantling uh, type of role for this offense here. And in terms of some of the other pauses, I like the strategy they had. Um, it, it really felt like day two and early day three was a sweet spot for this draft for the Packers. I like their strategy of double dipping at wide receiver and offensive line. You know, Doves has kind of a similar play style to Christian Watson in terms of being that bigger outside deep threat type of wide receiver. Um, and it feels like, you know, this Packers team with uh, LaFleur uh, calling the plays here and organizing that system. You know, he's done a really good job, despite the fact that the Packers don't have, haven't had the most talented wide receiver rooms in the NFL over the past couple of years. Is, you know, outside of Devontae Adams, they've done a really good job of being able to scheme these guys open and get them in spots where they can get the ball in space and get yards after the catch and get big plays 
down the field in the explosive passing game. And it feels like they're kind of going to be going to that with their offense going forward here. It's going to be a lot of, you know, emphasizing the run game with, uh, you know, Aaron Jones and Andre, um, and A.J. Dillon and, uh, as their running backs, you know, using that offensive line to their strength there. A lot of screens and quick game to kind of set up these deep shots with play action down the field to these bigger, taller, um, fast wide receivers they have on the outside. You know, and again, they're going to try to scheme these guys up on crossing routes and uh, deep posts and vertical routes, seam balls, all this stuff to get these guys open. So it seems like that's the route they're going with. We'll see if it works out for them, but that seems to be the strategy. And in order to have that, you need to be able to run the ball effectively to you know, have that play action threat and need guys that can take the top off the defense. Watson and Dubs can certainly do that. They can make plays down the field and getting Zach Tom in the fourth round, man. Like that's one of the biggest steals of the draft. Like Zach Tom is one of my favorite interior offensive line guys in this draft class. Like he has the potential to play all five positions of the offensive line. Like the Packers, they're, they're the best team in the NFL at drafting, identifying talent on the offensive line and developing talent in the offensive line and getting the most of them on game days. Like it, it's just like clockwork year after year, they draft these guys in the middle to late rounds and they just develop these guys into absolute studs. And um, I, I think Zach Tom's going to be one of those guys. So we get him the fourth round, man. Like that, that is a fantastic pick for the Packers there. I'm not sure if he starts right away, um, but it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. If by middle of the season, he's starting at right guard and he's just kicking, kicking ass for them up front in their in their outside zone run scheme uh, in terms of the negatives i'll start with the negatives here you said um you know i will say while i did like some of the picks that they made i did not like their early round approach to this draft like clay walker uh that was one of the worst reaches in this draft class you know clay walker was the guy that i had a third round grade on as a linebacker prospect like a lot of physical talent but very very raw still um, long way to go in terms of coverage, in terms of identifying things, in terms of being ready to play at the next level. And again, they, they took them a, a, above a lot of linebackers that were a lot more talented and they could have stayed at 59 or 53 in the second round and still probably got, if they didn't get Quay Walker, get, gotten a similar caliber of a prospect there later on in the draft. And instead they take that guy at 2022 20, when, in my opinion, their entire strategy early on this draft should have been to try to move up in this draft and get one of these top wide receivers. Like they had the golden opportunity with an extra first round pick and an extra second round pick to have that extra capital. They could have moved up. They could have gotten one of these guys, whether it be a Garrett Wilson, you know, moving up before the Jets at number 10 overall, maybe moving up um, to get a Chris Olave or getting a Traylon Burks or getting even a Jameson Williams, you know, they won't be ready early on next year. Like they could have gotten one of these true impact players, a wide receiver. And instead they're going to be looking to, you know, hopefully get the most out of Christian Watson, who I do like, but he's a little bit more of a project than some of these other guys at the top of the straps who would have given them day one value because at the end of the day, their number one goal this offseason after training Devontae Adams should have been to do everything within their power to make up for that loss of Devontae Adams and, replace him in some way, whether it's getting a player that they think could develop into the caliber of Devontae Adams or getting a bunch of players that can come in and replace the level of production that Devontae Adams had um, in total. Uh, they just did not do that. I think this offseason overall, again, there's still some months to go before training camp, so they could add a guy here moving forward. But in terms of the drafts, it, it didn't seem like they did that. Christian Watson, I think he's more of a replacement for Marcus Valdez-Scantling uh, more than anything. They still haven't 
yet to replace Devontae Adams. And that's going to be a huge hindrance to their offense because we've seen it year after year in the playoffs for them is that teams focus in on Devontae Adams and the Packers. Uh, they just have nobody else that can create separation on their own outside of the scheme. So when teams, you know, focus in on the scheme and are able to um, adjust to that in terms of what LaFleur is scheming up, they're able to shut these guys down pretty easily because they don't have the ability to win one-on-one and man-to-man coverage. And that's going to be the big issue with Packers this year is they just don't have the wide receiver. Like their wide receiver might legitimately be the worst in football right now because they just don't have that number one or even a number two guy to be quite honest here. So I think that's maybe the biggest problem with this Packers draft is just um, the lack of being able to get a true impact player at wide receiver from day one here. You saying what was the negative or the main negatives for you with the Packers draft? Yeah. And you know, you kind of touched on this too, but I think that when you have the two first round picks like green Bay had, and again, this came out, I think the morning after round one where the Packers were trying to trade up for Traylon Burks, but unfortunately it just never really materialized because the Eagles just put together a much better trade package. But I think when you have the two first round picks, Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, look, they're great prospects, but it's a pass happy league. It's a pass driven league. You just traded away your star wide receiver and essentially what you got in return was Walker and Devontae Wyatt. And so I think what it comes down to ultimately is just the fact that, you know, what you should have done was traded up and grab one of those wide receivers because there was a big run on wide receivers. And, and I think that this draft class was good enough to the point where if you're a team like Green Bay that's in desperation mode, having to go ahead and, you know, win a championship your window's closing you go ahead and you overpay just a bit I think if it means getting that blue chip wide receiver especially after shipping out Devontae Adams so ultimately you know when I look at this Packers draft class it's one of the more polarizing draft classes because like I said a few minutes ago I like the talent and the players that these guys brought in on paper but is it going to materialize that is something where this is a draft class that is going to be really dependent on the coaching more than anything i would say that this is for me right now a solid b yeah i gave this a b as well because i think they probably got three day one contributors here or starters here when you'll get you know walker even though i'm not a fan of the pick i think that's still one of the worst picks in this draft but he is going to play right away because um, he's going to be their second linebacker in base formations. Like he, he's going to get a lot of playing time early on. Devontae White is certainly going to play right away as a starter opposite of Kenny Clark. Uh, Christian Watson, I think he's going to play in that MVS role sooner rather than later in year one. And then one of these offensive linemen here between Ryan and Zach Tom are going to start year one, I think. I, I think it's inevitable that one of these two guys, whether it's Ryan at right tackle, Zach Tom, you know, inside a guard, or maybe he kicks outside to, to right tackle maybe. One of these two is going to play, and they're going to get good. They're going to get good production out of them. I, I think that's a certainty of happening. That's just the way this Packers offensive line works. They draft these guys every year. They're studs. It, it's just it's inevitable, really, with the way they do this. Um, you know, again, I like what they did here in terms of their late round strategy, late day two, early day three. They did a lot of good stuff here. In, in my opinion, though, they just it, it feels like they just did not do enough to support Aaron Rodgers here who's going into his last couple of years here for his NFL career here in Green Bay. It sounds like he's got two or three years left based off of the structure of his contract. So if you're going to go all in, which the Packers have pretty much done here, 
you know, you have to make sure that he has the necessary weapons to go up against the Rams and the Buccaneers and um, some of the other top teams in the NFC here. And I just don't think the Packers did that. I think they loaded up on defense. Their defense is going to be fantastic next season. And that's going to be probably the strength of their team next year. They're going to be a run-heavy team, a lot of play action for deep passes down the field, a lot of Aaron Rodgers trying to get the most out of this really talentless uh, receiving core for the most part. And they're going to depend on their defense to be the driving force of this team. I'm just not sure that's the right strategy because we've seen over and over again the last few years that it's not defense that wins championships anymore. It's offense that wins championships now. And do the Packers have a good enough offense in terms of having weapons around Aaron Rodgers to support him, to have that dynamic offense in the playoffs? I'm just not sure if that's the case. And a lot of that stems back to the decision to trade away Devontae Adams and then not do nearly enough to kind of replace the caliber of a player that he was and the impact he had for that offense as a whole. But, you know, at the end of the day, we'll see what happens with the Packers draft. Overall, there were some things we liked, some things we didn't like. And, again, solid B is where I give them for now. So, quickly before we wrap it up here, you said, um, let's go back and compare all these draft classes as a whole um, and just look at every single team in the NFC North here. How would we rank each draft class here in terms of who had the best draft in the NFC North, who had the worst draft going one to four here? You said, I'll go to you. Um, who had the best drafts here? This includes the Bears now. So how would you rank these draft classes in order here for all four NFC North teams? Yeah, I would say in the moment, I mean, I would say that Chicago and Detroit would be tied for one and two, specifically because both of those teams added day one contributors. I think the key thing to understand is that players that are legitimately going to make an impact from day one, not just players that could be starting day one because I think there's a major difference and then number three comes in the Green Bay Packers number four is the Minnesota Vikings but I think that if we were to let's just say sit here in 2024 2025 and look back at this draft class things could certainly change and I would say that in the future you could be possibly looking at Green Bay and Chicago having the top two draft classes with Detroit being three and Minnesota being four yeah, I think number four for sure is the Vikings. Like, I think that's a clear cut. Like, they just did not do enough, in my opinion. I think it was a very average draft as a whole. Um, after the first two picks, like I said before, they very underwhelming overall for what they did. Um, number three, I think the Bears coming at number three for me. It's, it's pretty close, but again, I go back to my feelings on the drafts. I felt like their day two was still pretty underwhelming, although I do like Tyler Gordon. I do like Jaquan Brisker. You know, I still don't think they did enough in terms of addressing this offense to get that unit back on track here and really rebuild that unit up moving forward. Um, you know, I, I'm still giving them a B minus here. So um, they come at number three for me, although it is close. But number two, I have the Packers here. Again, they didn't address wide receiver, but they got some impact players here. They got some dudes here in terms of Devontae Wyatt. He's going to be an impact player for them. I feel pretty confident that their offensive line picks are going to work out. And Watson does, they're going to get a good vertical threat for their offense out of one of those two guys here. It all comes down to Quay Walker. Is he going to be as bad as I think he is going to be, or will he surprise us and um, go against the grain here in terms of being a lot better than what I think a lot of people had him projected to be, or I don't think many people had him being a first round pick. So, um, you know, it's going to come down to, I think a lot of that here, but Packers, again, they didn't really address the wide receiver enough in terms of getting a true day one impact guy to replace Devontae Adams here. So that's what kind of drags down that draft. But 
Number one, I think it has to be the Detroit Lions. I think they did an excellent job here. You know, Aiden Hutchinson is going to be a day one impact guy for them right away. Um, he's going to add a lot to in terms of their defense overall, but also as a culture guy for them, uh, being a local kid for them from Michigan. Um, you know, there's a lot of positives and a lot of things that you're going to like about Aiden Hutchinson with Detroit there in terms of changing the culture for them on that side of the ball. Um, really like the trade-up for Jameson Williams. I think he's going to be a – once he gets healthy and they get a quarterback for him, he's, he's going to be a stud. Um, I think Josh Pascal is going to be a star for them down the road. Uh, they took some nice swings on day three. Look at, you know, Kirby Joseph, late day two. Uh, day three, they, they took some chances on guys with some upside like Lucas, like we talked about here, uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, who I like as a linebacker, special teamer type of guy for them. So the Lions, I think they came out the best here in terms of process, in terms of the players that they got, in terms of the impact that they're getting. Um, I thought they came out number one here for the NFC North, but we'll see what happens because this is only our opinions for after the draft here. So only a couple of weeks after the draft, a few weeks, like we're only, what, like a month after uh, the conclusion of the draft here. So again, these guys haven't even played a single snap in the NFL for their respective teams. So a lot could change on the way that we view these draft classes over the next couple of years. We're really not going to know until two or three years down the line, but I think that's what, make this, what makes this process so fun is that we get to get, use our evaluations and our understanding of the process of things to predict things out and give our evaluations right away and see whether they're right or not. And I think that's the, the fun part about doing this entire analysis here. You know, let's see in a couple of years where we were right, where we were wrong, and reevaluate things when we get to that point. But until then, I think I think all of our analysis was, you know, pretty sound in terms of what each team did in this, you know, in this latest 2022 NFL draft. And now we'll get to see once the pad comes, pads come on later on in August, um, whether we were right in terms of our evaluation here, which should be a ton of fun to see moving forward here. So all things considered here, I think it's a good time to wrap it up for us here at the Fish for Polls podcast for this episode. Um, for all of our listeners out there, uh, make sure to like, rate, subscribe to us at Pace for Polls on all podcasting platforms at the Blue Wire Pods. Um, also make sure to check out the Bearport uh, podcast as well by Zach and Aaron. They do a great job over there covering all the main stuff going on with the Bears in terms of the current storylines for them uh, during this offseason period. Um, in terms of social media, make sure to follow us on social media on Twitter at Picks for Polls, where we have a ton of updates for all of our work going out moving forward. Um, you say it for you. Work on our listeners. Follow you on Twitter and find your work. Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Kulshul. You can check out my work on the Bear Report. I'm going to have an article here just about one or two a week during the offseason detailing everything that's going on at Hallis Hall, a couple storylines too. So stay tuned for that stuff for some summer reading. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to follow Usaid on Twitter. Make sure to check out his work. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Freeman 25 You can find my work at the Bear Report. I got some stuff coming up for this offseason as well as well as hopefully some film re review stuff on YouTube on the Bearport YouTube channel. So make sure to check that out as well. So without further ado, let's conclude this episode right now. Um, again, I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today. Uh, it's been a lot of fun getting back to the swing of things here as we continue to break down this 2022 draft class, as we continue to get into the summer months here where the NFL news cycle is getting slow here, but make sure to continue to stay tuned with us here at Pixar Bulls Bears fans and for all of you Bears fans out there, bear down and have a great weekend.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.